Cardinals.com. Burns and Gambo, afternoons. It's time for the Cardinals to nail drafts. Forget about free agency and re-signing your own guys and all of that stuff. You've got to hit on more draft picks. You've got to hit on those number one draft picks. Positional awareness when you're drafting. How many inside linebackers are you going to take over the course of a six-year span? How many offensive linemen are you not taking? You go back and you look at the last several drafts. There was no emphasis on the offensive line hardly at all. Burns and Gambo, afternoons 2 till 6 on Arizona Sports, the local sports league. KMVP FM Phoenix, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. This hour powered by FanDuel. Mitch Ferelvitz, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Steve Zinsmeister with you for Arizona Sports Saturday. Eric Ruby's in for Mitch today. We gave him the day off. He deserves it. I guess. I don't know. Uh, The Arizona Cardinals, uh, not a lot to love from last season. Obviously, they're still looking for a head coach by association. They're also looking for an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator. They're looking for a lot of stuff. One thing that they're going to have to take into consideration, I'm sure Monty Austin Ford is already on top of evaluating this, is what are you going to do with your outgoing in-house free agents? Of which there are several big ones, including Zach Allen, including Byron Murphy, and including a couple of others as well. And now we have estimates on what they might cost. Yeah, you're looking at the Cardinals right now, and it's almost like you're going cross-eyed. And you're looking around and you're saying, okay, I got to focus on that. I got to focus on that. I got to focus on that. We got to take care of that problem. You're running around and you're trying to put out so many different fires that you're almost not even thinking about the on field product. But Pro Football Focus put together a couple projections for the players that you just named. Start with Zach Allen. He is by far the biggest name for the Cardinals defensive end and the biggest number. Three years, $37.5 million. They predict $26 million total guaranteed it would take to lock him up on Byron Murphy. You would do three years, $26.25 million. And Kelvin Beecham, two years, $3 million. Will Hernandez, three years, $12 million. Let me start with Zach Allen. I think that I've been calling him mini JJ for like the last three months. But maybe that's a fair, unfair comparison um, because he's not JJ Watt. But he does a lot of things JJ Watt does. Uh, I think he got a lot better at putting his hands up this year. And that's, that's a part of pass rushing that you just don't see a lot of guys be good at disrupting the pass. Then I think uh, the money-wise, $12 million a year feels like a lot for a guy who's not an elite pass rusher, doesn't have the the sack numbers to line up with, you know, uh, who are the elite pass rushers in the league, like the Nick Bosa's of the world, both of the Bosa's. I, I do think that that would be worth it, though, to keep Zach Allen because of the significant hole that you would have if you didn't. It's almost like overpaying for something because of what, you're left with if you don't. And I think that the Cardinals are stuck in that situation. Now, I get it. Part of that is because J.J. Watt decided to retire. I would never knock a guy for making the decision that's best for him and his family. I get it. You got to do what you got to do. But from the Cardinals' perspective, it leaves them with a gaping hole if they don't figure out what they're going to do with Zach Allen. And by the way, it's not like they can just sign him right now. Like He's waiting for free agency, and he's going to get offers from other teams. And why wouldn't he wait for free agency? Uh, the injury stuff, a little bit. You would maybe say that's concerning. 
but he had just had such a solid season. This Cardinals defense is so interesting to look at because when you start breaking down individual players, you can find some great performances from a Buda Baker, from a J.J. Watt, like you said. Zach Allen is up there with those guys, and if they don't bring him back, they're going to be looking to fill a huge hole on defense. But then there's another name, one that maybe people are a little bit more out on. Byron Murphy, yeah. Pro Football Focus, has three years, $26.25 million, That's $16.25 million guaranteed. But the big question with Byron is his back and his injury status. Are you going to invest that money into somebody who has missed significant time over his career? Here's how I feel about Byron Murphy. I'd like to have him back at the right price. And it, the price that you listed is, is seems reasonable to me. I could do without him. But... You have to have a backup plan. There has to be an alternative. I wouldn't let him go and then just, eh, we'll see what the market bears. We'll see what we can figure out in free agency. Or, or maybe we'll draft a guy in the fourth or fifth round and we'll, we'll see if he's any good. I'm not down for that again. I think that they've, I won't say struck gold with, but I think they've done something pretty reasonable with Marco Wilson. I think he's been a decent player for them. Byron Murphy's probably your best corner and I'm still kind of okay with him not being around as long as there's something of equal or greater value coming down the pike. And that's where you got to look at new GM Monty Austin for and kind of understand the direction of this team. Because if they're going to be trying to maybe build through the draft heavily, then maybe you look at maybe a, a short-term deal for Byron Murphy, something that's a little bit more guaranteed, a little bit shorter term, give him a year to play it out, and then you go and you draft your corners. You go and you get your young guys and say, I'm not going to invest the future in Murphy, but you need somebody to play right now. And I don't know if you can go through and say, we're going to build out that entire room through the draft when you have your offensive line room that you also need to build through the draft. You have a lot of other parts of this team that you need to address. I don't know if I want to commit three years to somebody with that injury history, but when he is on the field, he's really good. I don't mind him being here, but like I said, I don't mind him leaving There just needs to be a plan either way. Yeah. Well, and I think while we and the Cardinals probably view him as the number one cornerback currently, now that's barring if they decided to go and draft a corner, maybe they move down in the first round and get an early corner, something like that happens, then the equation changes. But as things stand right now, the Cardinals probably view him as a number one cornerback, whereas if he hits the open market, other teams might be looking at him as a two on their team. I don't probably even, not a third. I don't even know if the Cardinals would look at him in, as a number one Always. I think they look at him for, he was our number one. Was that a good thing? (laughs) Was that planned? You're always looking for an upgrade. Right. I don't think that Byron Murphy's your number one option going into a season. I don't think any other team is going to approach Byron Murphy in the offseason and say, we're going to give you number one corner money and expect you to come in and be that guy. Even though he might have been top of the food chain at the Cardinals, that, to me, sheds more of a light on that situation in the organization and that room than it does on Byron Murphy. And again, that's not to say he's a bad player. He's not. He's really not. He can be an impactful player every single week. He just can't be the guy. And Pro Football Focus doesn't have him being paid as, as the guy. The two other names that they listed were offensive linemen, Kelvin Beecham and Will Hernandez. This team and their offensive line is a huge, huge, 
Huge question mark going into the season. Can you read me the numbers, the estimates on Kelvin Beecham again? Beach is low. Two years, three million. Two million total guaranteed. That why, why would you not do that? I don't know. If you were the Cardinals, if that's really what it's going to cost to keep Kelvin Beecham. By the way, I'm going to remind you, uh, he played, he started 17 games this season, 15 games the previous season, 16 the year before, 13 the year before, 16, 16, 15. This guy is nothing but consistently on the field for the last six seasons. Why would he take that deal then? I don't think he would. He shouldn't. I don't think he would. But if that's what it's going to take to keep him here, maybe... Here's the thing, Eric, and you and I both know this. Sometimes free agency is about different things. Some guys are at the tail end of their career. Maybe Beecham, he's uh, 33, 34 years old right now. He's getting there. Maybe he's like, you know what? I like it in Phoenix. I don't want to go back to New York. I don't want to go back to where it snows. Maybe I like it in Phoenix. J.J. Watt, I was thinking the same thing before he retired. I was like, man, if he hits free agency, maybe he just stays because he likes Phoenix and doesn't want to move again. Uh, Kelvin Beecham, maybe he has a role that they promised him on the team. It's not like they have a lot of better options on the offensive line. Hey, Arizona's the only team offering me a starting right tackle position. Maybe I want that more than I want to go be a backup and make a little bit more money somewhere. Uh, yeah, understandable. You'd have to you have to look at it from his perspective and from what we know in his interaction with people around the team and talking to his teammates. He is very much a team guy. He is. He the just, didn't he just win the Walter Payton Man of the Year for the Cardinals recently? He he is. There are some guys who are that dude on the field. He's that dude off the field. Uh, yeah. You know, you do a no thing. I do Cardinals Corner with Tyler Drake, basically the Cardinals equivalent for our podcast. And we had Lisita Smith on, young offensive lineman, rookie, six rounder this year for the Cardinals a couple months ago. And Kelvin Beecham has. Nicknames for everybody. He's always mentioned as kind of that big bro mentor guy. And if you're going into a season that, quite frankly, is probably going to be bad, the record... You might not have your quarterback for half the year. You might be in... Who knows who the coach is? A rebuild. Yeah. For lack Let's of a just better. be straight up. It's a, it's, it could if be a rebuild. A, if they have a good season, if they have a winning record this year, I think we would all be surprised. That being said, you can't let... As a franchise, your morale, your locker room down. You look at a team like the Lions, when they go through the down moments, they lift everybody back up and they bounce back. Calvin Beecham can help be that guy even on a season without expectations. If it only costs a couple million to lock him up, I do that in a heartbeat. In two years, I think you said, right? Two years, three million. I, I that don't can't why be you, right. I that feels doesn't that feel wrong? Yeah. Because they have Will Hernandez. I'm, listen, I'm not years twelve million. I'm not saying Kelvin Beecham is one of the best right tackles in the league. I'm not even saying he's in the top half of right tackles in the league. But he's a guy who played 17 games this season. You know how many others on the on the Cardinals offensive line did that? Nobody. Nobody. How many how many things how many positions along the offensive line do you feel confident in this coming season? I think maybe left tackle with DJ Humphreys. DJ was hurt for the end of the season. I don't. I'm not comfortable with any of them. If DJ, but I feel comfortable he's coming back. Okay, I he he's under contract. I'm comfortable he's going to be on the team. Back injuries are tough, but that's the thing. That's it. That's it. That's the one guy. That's the one position. That's why Kelvin Beecham needs to be back, and he's he can be the right tackle for now. I, I think they're probably still holding out hope that Josh Jones becomes either the right tackle or maybe even the future left tackle. 
because I do think DJ Humphreys is good. I put him in that middle third of starting left tackles in the league. I don't think he's in the top 10, but I don't think he's in the bottom 10. I think he's somewhere in the middle. Um, so they could certainly get better. I'm with you, man. If I'm Monty Austin for it this offseason, I'm doing two things. I am in the trenches on the offense, and I'm in the trenches on the defense. What am I doing with my offensive line? What am I doing with my defensive line? I wouldn't even be shocked if they use multiple draft picks on both of those two places. You think he's got time to do all that while he's meeting with D-Hop? Oh, boy, that's another angle to all of this. So, reportedly, Albert Breer said yesterday that DeAndre Hopkins was at the facility talking to Monty Ossonfort for the first time. He's still got, what, two years, $34 million or something like that left on his contract. It's been mentioned that Michael Bidwell might have been telling GM prospect, GM candidates during their interviews, hey, we might look at moving DeAndre Hopkins. That might be on your to-do list when we hire you, potentially. I don't know if they're going to move him or not. Obviously, there's a lot of financial uh, instability at this point. And if you're going to be doing a rebuild, he probably doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild. There's some interesting landing spots. Can I throw one at you really quick? Please. Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> I am imagining Bengals, Jamar Chase and DeAndre Hopkins with Joe Burrow. I have no idea if this would work. I have no idea if they can make it, make it work with the financials. The Bengals have a lot of cap space this offseason to work with. A lot. For a team that just went to a Super Bowl and then is as good as they've been this year, the Cincinnati Bengals have a lot of room. And you're going to need a lot of room for a guy like this. Also, they're going through something with T. Higgins currently. That is what I would be excited about. Two years in a row of 1,000-yard seasons. They haven't been able to come to a contract extension with him. Would you flip Hopkins for T. Higgins? You'd have to pay Higgins, and that's interesting because obviously you're already paying Hopkins. But Hollywood Brown currently doesn't have his extension yet, and you just traded a first for him. Personally, it depends on what DeAndre Hopkins wants to do. If DeAndre Hopkins wants to go, I don't need you being around here for a year doing the DeAndre Hopkins thing with Colt McCoy at quarterback. Let me go get value for you. But if you want to stick this out and see if you could be around and run it with Kyler Murray and Hollywood Brown if he gets his extension and whoever, whenever they come back, then I'm cool with keeping you. But if you want to be gone, I'll explore any options, but I'm certainly not trading him for anything because at the end of the day, he's DeAndre Hopkins, whether he wants to be here or not. Speaking of not wanting to be here anymore, Kyrie Irving, he doesn't want to be in Brooklyn anymore. And apparently the Suns are interested. Would you rather have him or Chris Paul? We'll dive into that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Steve Zinsmeister with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. Eric Ruby is in for Mitch this weekend. And as you know, yesterday, the Phoenix Suns played the Boston Celtics. By the way, huge win. You beat the number one team in the NBA right now. I mean, I think the Celtics are probably the favorite for the championship. I'm not sure odds-wise, but that is probably a smart bet. Uh, And yet the Phoenix Suns, shorthanded as they've been for months now, uh, no Cam Johnson, no Devin Booker, no campaign. They still pull off a huge win last night. They have another game today against Detroit. Uh, I believe that's like 4 that one starts at uh, 5 o'clock, 4.30 is when we get pregame coverage. You can hear it right here on Arizona Sports, on the Arizona Sports app. But one of the biggest things from last night's game, obviously the bench stepped up, putting 36 points on the road in TD Garden. But to me, this is Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges continues to take these small, consistent next steps into being that scorer. 
And not even the numbers to me. Like, yes, his numbers based on his career and even last season are up a couple points this season. But when you watch him play, specifically, when you watch him dribble with pressure, a great example against Fred Van Fleet in the Toronto game, a couple examples in this one, he looks completely different. I'm going to take credit for it. Please. Uh, so I did a uh, post-game show. I was filling in for John Bloom back on, I had to look it up, January 8th. Okay. They played the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, they were very short-handed, as they've been for, like I said, months now. Uh, I believe at the time they still didn't have Chris Paul. They were trying to figure out who was the primary ball handler. There's no Devin Booker, so there's your primary scorer. Uh, it was basically, you had to ask Mikel Bridges and DeAndre Ayton to evolve immediately just because we needed them to in order to tread water in the NBA standings. That game, Mikel Bridges had 15 points. That's it. And the game before that, he had 15. And the game before that, he had 10. And the game before that, he had 10. And the game before that, he had 17. And the game before that, he had 10. And so the point that I made on the post-game show was maybe we need to stop asking Mikel Bridges to be more than he is. Yep. Maybe we should be okay with him being a 15-point a night, get a handful of rebounds, move the ball, and be an elite defensive wing. Maybe we should just be okay with that. Then Mikel Bridges went off and decided that he was going to take that personally, like Michael Jordan in the documentary, and he went for 26 the next night, and then 24, and then 21, and 28, and 22, and 24, and then just last night, uh, like you mentioned, 25 points against one of the best teams in the league. I was wrong, and I'm happy to admit it. It's funny because... Not to take away your credit, Steve, but that is something that was a huge talking point. Mikhail is like, can he be that guy? All this talk about, wow, if he does it, if he steps up, you're right. A month ago, it did not look like he could. But that's how quick things can change. And honestly, that's how quick things can click. We've seen it on this level, mainly with rookies, with younger guys. You kind of just notice that moment where things shift, where things turn, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, they're a lot more comfortable. I've had like three of those moments a game with him because for some reason, despite him doing it consistently in the back of my head, I kind of expect him to go back to, at some points, that guy that you were talking to on the post-game show. Yeah. So when I think about that and I think, wow, he could regress to that, every time he continues to show the consistency in it, not just the highs and the lows – That makes me a lot more comfortable. So let me tie it back to the story of the day and possibly the story of the week until ownership takes over. Uh, Kyrie Irving, yesterday, we found out he requested a trade from Brooklyn. He's no longer happy. They offered him a long-term deal. It had some stipulations in the final year he wasn't happy with. I'm Kyrie Irving. I don't deserve stipulations. I deserve the world. Anyway, one of the reported teams that's interested is the Phoenix Suns. I don't know what that trade looks like. I imagine that it probably would be some sort of Kyrie for Chris Paul flip. And while you and I have both agreed that Kyrie's the better basketball player, he's certainly the less reliable human being. Let's tie it back to your Mikel Bridges angle. Bridges has turned a corner when it comes to scoring. If you add a guy like Devin Booker next week, that certainly alters it, the equation a little bit in terms of scoring because Booker's got to get his touches. If you add a guy like Kyrie Irving to the mix and Devin Booker to the mix. How does that affect the development of Mikel Bridges and what he's already accomplishing in the last three weeks or so? Development is an interesting point because I don't think he's going to lose what he's been gaining. And to me, if you add 
hypothetically, Kyrie Irving and Devin Booker, these reps that Mikhail is getting right now are going to become so much more valuable because his looks are going to become 10 times easier. And what we've also seen is that while he's more comfortable dribbling, he is still coming off the screens and catching the ball, hitting threes in transition. He's doing everything. He's driving. He's not just somebody who can do one thing. He used to be. He used to just be a guy who can drive, catch and shoot, maybe hit a shot off the dribble. Now he's dribbling, going between the legs, going around screens, coming off of screens, hitting fadeaways, hitting set shots. He's doing a little bit of everything. You add two incredible shot makers to that, everything changes. You add one incredible shot maker to that, everything changes. But then I look at Kyrie Irving, and back to the do you trade for Kyrie Irving? Yeah. Do you pull the trigger? I know on it's that? a big pivot to take in a segment. Well, but. It's, well it, as unrelated as the two things seem, they actually play hand in hand because Mikhail Bridges' development and his becoming of this guy makes it almost more important for the Suns, in my opinion, to go get. Sorry, Mikhail, but the real number two next to Booker, and that's nothing against him, but with his defensive prowess, with how much you can ask him to do on one end. I don't want him to be my number two scorer. I want him to be the guy that can score 30. You want him to be capable of it, but not be relied upon to do it. Correct. And now he's shown he's capable. When he's relied upon, give me a Pascal Siakam next to Devin Booker, maybe a Kyrie Irving in a vacuum next to Devin Booker, and Mikhail Bridges' bucket making and his defense become that much more valuable. But with Kyrie, I've been trying to think of a way to put this that's new. Because we say the same things about him. And what I landed on was Kyrie Irving is one of the least self-aware people I've ever seen. Now, the reason I say that and the reason why that plays into basketball is because to me, self-awareness at any point of life is huge when you're trying to be part of a team. Look at Jay Crowder. Where's the self-awareness on that, right? The self-awareness to know you're an aging veteran. With Kyrie Irving, it's not just basketball self-awareness. It's off-the-court self-awareness. To when you make a mistake, when you post things that you should not be posting, and people say, hey, you're a big member of this community. People look up to you, and you're posting it. What do you think of that? And your two answers are, I have no influence at all, but also I have influence. He's just not self-aware at all. You don't want to bring that into this team. Yeah, but from a basketball perspective, think of it this way. A week from today, you and I could be talking about a team that is potentially Kyrie Irving at the point guard. Let's assume that they pull a package for Chris Paul, or maybe it's one for one. Kyrie Irving at the point guard. Devin Booker is back, presumably next week sometime. Mikel Bridges at the three. Cam Johnson at the four. DeAndre Ayton at the five. That's one of the best starting fives in basketball. Championship contender. Plus, I'll I'll keep going. You have a role player, some sort of role player on your bench that you get in exchange for Jay Crowder. You also probably maintain most of your bench pieces, which includes Shamit. Maybe Campaign comes back. I think Bismack Biombo's been good. Saban Lee's been pretty good on his limited contracts that he's received. You could potentially have that going for you next week. And even if you did nothing... You still have this idea in the back of your head that, hey, you know what? Our starting five, as it was constructed this season, hasn't played more than six games together this season. And next week, we get Booker back. That could change. 
All of a sudden you're like, we don't even know what we could be because we just haven't been all together yet. They could do nothing at the trade deadline and still be better in the second half than they were in the first. Absolutely. But then in the back of your head, you're like, man, Kyrie, Booker, Bridges, Johnson, Aiton, plus whatever you get for Jay Crowder. This could be one of the most exciting weeks to be a Suns fan. You want to know what else sounded exciting? Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. (laughs) That sounded really exciting. Uh, No, I get it. It doesn't always work. If it's just basketball, then it's perfect. The problem is it's so much more than just what goes down on the court. And you're right about that. I am curious. And it's the whole uh, Tobias Fionke uh, meme <laughs> that's going around of like, it might work for us. Uh, I do wonder if the Suns and the relationship that he already has with James Jones, if that means this could be finally the place where Kyrie could be happy. Said the same thing about Kevin Durant, man. I know. I know. I realize how dumb I sound. It's, but no, you know, but it's, it's possible. Not, you know what, Steve? It's not dumb because it's just... So hard to break. Through. I know it's hard to believe he's he's done so many organizations dirty, but he's also delivered championships, and he's he's well, an all stars. LeBron he's, delivered a championship. Okay, Kyrie was great. Yes. Kyrie, Kyrie was great. If they didn't have Kyrie, they still wouldn't have won. If they didn't have LeBron, they wouldn't have made it to the finals. Yeah, I think we can both agree on that. By the way, not only did uh, the Cardinals miss out on Sean Payton, but now he's taking other Cardinals coaching candidates with him to Denver. Is this seriously happening? And why am I already bitter about this? Next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Steve Zinsmeister and Eric Ruby with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. I gave Mitch the day off. I have that kind of power on the show. He was actually fighting you. We have him locked in the wedge, but he, he has to request a day off with me. No, that's not true. He just took the day off. Um, it doesn't seem fair that the Arizona Cardinals are still looking for their head coach. I know a lot of people were bitter when the Broncos ended up with Sean Payton because that was that was easily the top candidate out there in this cycle of hiring coaches. He's won a Super Bowl. Granted, it was 13 years ago. I'm still on that point. Uh, but the Cardinals don't get that guy. I feel like people were at least disappointed, I guess is the best word. Now we find out that not only is Sean Payton going to the Broncos, but he could potentially be taking a top candidate in Brian Flores with him to be defensive coordinator. The Broncos have requested permission to interview Flores for the D.C. job. Remember, he's an assistant coach in Pittsburgh. I think he's also like the assistant head coach or whatever. Yeah, he's, like a, he's assistant to the defensive and he's, he's a head coach as well. He's a linebacker coach. It, he's it all these of, things. It, it, it's one of those things where because of his situation and because of... He came in late. For him basically getting screwed out of his last job, he was looking for another job in the NFL while currently having a lawsuit against the NFL. Yeah. So they're like, okay, well, he deserves a spot in the league. It kind of feels like... And Mike, Mike Tomlin, Tomlin made sense. It kind of feels like Mike Tomlin made a spot for him because he he deserved to be a head coach. He deserved to be a defensive coordinator. He needed to just be there. So his title's kind of strange, but you have to look at it as former head coach of the Dolphins. When Tua was first there, he had a winning record. Things with Tua didn't go that great. No, I think but, that's easy to say. But he is... Basically been described as, and Mike Florio said this on Bickley and Murata, I won't play the whole cut, but the opposite of Cliff Kingsbury. And without Sean Payton now, he's kind of been like the de facto number one 
of all these names that have been linked to the Cardinals, even the new ones, the Lou Anarumos, the Brian Callahans, Brian Flores is kind of the guy that everybody always goes back to. Well, and I remember Mitch and I were on the air on MLK Day, the day that it was reported that Monty Awesome Fort got the GM job. And I was sitting right where you are, Eric, and I, and I said, ding, light bulb. Brian Flores makes all the sense in the world because you put together the resumes. Monty Austin Fort was in the scouting department with New England under Bill Belichick for, I think it was like 10 to 15 years. Brian Flores was a coach in New England for a long, long time as well. They overlapped. Surely they have a relationship, although I don't know I how they, good of friends they are or whatever. Well, I think they, they actually worked in the same department because Flores early on, I think, was also in scouting or something similar. So I believe they actually worked closely together There's early in their career. obvious connection, Right. right. And so it was easy for me on the day that Awesome Fort got hired for me to be like, ah, they're going to hire Brian Flores to be the next head coach, which is, of course, the way that I put it. Uh, not that I was reporting anything, certainly. And it's odd because the Cardinals haven't announced any sort of second interviews with no. any candidates. Only the, the only second interview that's been put out there was with Dan Quinn, who is now back with the Cowboys as their defensive coordinator. But apparently the reason that he actually got a second interview is because his first interview was brief and just over Zoom, and they wanted to get him in. That makes sense. Right, and it was in the middle of the it. playoff. The first the first interview was in the middle of the playoffs. The Cowboys were preparing to play the 49ers, and Dan Quinn was interviewing. So they brought him back for a second one. Besides that, everybody who's gone in has either been hired by somebody else, Frank Reich, Sean Payton, D'Amico Ryans canceled his interview with the Cardinals. He got hired by the Texans. Or I felt like destiny all along. Yeah, I mean, and do you see the video of uh, them welcoming D'Amico to? No. Oh, it was heartwarming. It was the entire building just of showering love with him saying, welcome home, Miko. I mean, as much as I would have liked D'Amico Ryan's here, it feels like that's definitely the spot to him for him. But back to Arizona. They cast this wide net. They've got more names. Lou Anarumo, Brian Callahan, Mike Kafka, like. They haven't really found that guy, it seems like. Everything about this offseason so far, which has been the GM search followed by the coaching search, feels the complete opposite of what Michael Bidwell typically does. He hasn't hired an outside general manager since the mid-90s, basically my entire life. And he did that and did it quietly, by the way. Nobody knew who the the main candidates were. Maybe a couple people did, but it wasn't widely reported that Austin Fort was a leading candidate. He goes out and hires him. Although we did end up learning later that maybe they had offered the job to a guy from the Chicago Bears, Ian Cunningham. I don't know if there's truth to that or not, but let's just say that he was a top candidate. Um, And then this coaching search. They said they were going to cast a wide net. That's not what happened when Cliff Kingsbury was hired. No, not at all. In fact, they hired Cliff quickly. He had been at USC as the offensive coordinator for like two weeks, maybe. Hadn't even played a game at USC at that point. Uh, He had been fired from Texas Tech, his alma mater, where I would argue he was never really that great of a coach. He had some good players come through there, but not a winning program by most standards. They hired Cliff Kingsbury like that because they wanted Cliff Kingsbury to be their head coach. Right out of the gate, so they made it. They had they made it happen quick. This time around, they've taken uh, what's it been like three weeks at least? I think it's been like twenty five days. Yeah, I think it's it's around twenty five days that they haven't had a head coach. I think January 9th. They're clearly taking their time. Maybe you could argue that they wanted Sean Payton and he went elsewhere. Maybe you could make the case they wanted D'Amico Ryan's. He didn't want to talk to them. You could make the case that they wanted uh, Frank Reich and he went to Carolina. You could make the case that none of these guys have stood out. That could be. 
Maybe not are the, the, the Cardinals, Craig Reichs and the Sean Paytons, but everybody else. Are the Cardinals currently sitting in a situation where they don't like any of the candidates? Kind of feels like it, right? I don't know. And it's weird because normally three weeks into the process, almost four weeks into the process, normally you have had second interviews with the guys you really like. Is it maybe more of a other way around? What do you potential, mean by that? Potential coaches maybe not wanting to come to Arizona? So that's that. it's interesting you say that because I wanted to make this point too. Interviews with head coaching candidates, it's like in any industry. An interview for a job is a two-way street. You're learning about me, the candidate, and whether I'm a good fit for your organization. And I'm learning from you, are you the right job for me to have? Do I want to work for your company? Do I want the salary that you're offering? Do I want to coach the players that you have in the billing? Do I have a good relationship with my potential boss, the general manager? These are all things I'm learning in the process, too. And when it comes to Brian Flores, and I know a lot of Cardinals fans are upset that, you know, hey, he's interviewing for Denver. Denver already took our other candidate and Sean Payton. We're going to lose another one to Denver when they already have a D.C. there, who, by the way, is another candidate for our head coaching job. I understand that, but you got to think about it from Brian Flores' perspective, too. He's looking for a job. He's going to interview anywhere he can to get a promotion. And if it's D.C. under Sean Payton in Denver, maybe that's more intriguing to him than Arizona's head coaching job. And maybe he's worried about just redoing what happened in Miami, having a young quarterback granted in a different position, but that maybe he doesn't get along with or maybe things don't go as fast as planned and all of a sudden he's out of another head coaching job in a couple years when maybe he doesn't deserve it. But at this point, you kind of have to think, who are they waiting for? Right? There hasn't been any new names except for like a week ago they had planned the interviews with the pair of Bengals coordinators, Luana Rumo, Brian Callahan, Giants offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka. But there's nobody that's standing out and going, whoa, that's the guy. Is there a chance they wait until after the Super Bowl to interview somebody who's on a Super Steichen? Bowl staff? Steichen, Eric Bieniemy. I mean, why not at this point? If you're getting, if you've this, waited this long, you might right. as well just keep waiting. There's only one no. other job open. But also, the amount of offensive coordinator openings that are around the league and That's other true. building your staff and just kind of getting something together for a new era. You have to move. You don't want to start way after the Super Bowl. Here's the other thing I'm thinking about, too. Everyone around the league, everyone around the world that is a football fan will be in Glendale in the next five, six days. Everyone in the football universe is coming here. If you're Michael Bidwell and you have all this attention, are you really going to have that opening? Are you really not going to hire somebody before the Super Bowl? I don't like you're really just going to sit around and not make any news while everyone's here in town. I don't even want them to think of it that way. I don't want them just to hire somebody to to make news for the Super Bowl. I just I need the right guy. It's not it's not even about drawing the attention. That's one aspect of it, but it's also the instability of how it looks if you don't. How does it look if everyone in the football universe comes to Arizona and they look over at Tempe at the headquarters and they're like, "Uh, who's your guys' coach?" Ah, uh, we don't know yet. We're not really sure. Okay, great. Well, all the attention's on you for the next six days, and then we're leaving. It's so weird because you can actually end up looking at this time right now. You can end up looking at the last month completely differently, depending on who they hire. If they end up hiring Mike Kafka, who most people don't seem 
too high on. He's what, the OC for the Giants? O- OC for the Giants. And uh, on Bickley and Murata, they had uh, Dan Duggan, or Dugan, one of the two, on. And he is a beat writer for the Athletic for the okay. Giants. And he just was very confused. I'm not going to play the full cut because it's a little bit longer. But he was confused that Kafka was getting these really the the attention that he got. And I just don't see that guy right now. But at the end of the day, if they hire, to me, a Lou Anarumo, a Brian Flores, and a Giro Aviro, these last weeks of painfully wondering who it's going to be, it's not going to hit as hard. I've just been very confused during this process because I've been trying to glean something off of the people they've interviewed. Uh, for a while, it was mostly defensive guys. It was D'Amico Ryans, Brian Flores, Vance Joseph. Uh, Aviro, it was Glenn, Aaron Glenn from Detroit. It was all these defensive guys. And I was like, oh, clearly they are looking to go the other direction and, and get a defensive guy. Then they had that in-person interview with Sean Payton, which got blown up because Cam Cox shot a video in the parking lot of the Shout two of them Cam. walking. Shout out Cam. Credit to Cam for getting that. But it, it made it feel bigger than it actually was, right? We all knew he was going to do the interview. We all knew he was going to be in the building. But once you saw him standing next to Michael Bidwell, it's the only candidate we've seen standing next to Michael Bidwell. And that means something to fans. And it maybe shouldn't have. And then Frank Reich is the only other OC. He goes to Carolina. So now all of a sudden I'm like, did they want an offensive guy and they all just went to other jobs? Or do they really want a DC guy? Or are they still looking at offense, and that's why they're bringing in Kafka do late? Do they really want any of these guys? I have no idea. I don't know if they have any idea, because that's the thing is, they're not bringing anybody in for a second interview either. It's very confusing. One last thing, real quick, short answer, because you seemed a little bit hesitant on it. Is it going to work out in Denver? You think it's going to work out with Sean, Russell Payton? I think it'll be more good than bad. I really believe Nathaniel Hackett was just a one-year Steve Wilkes type thing where it just it wasn't the right fit. It just wasn't going to work. I don't think Russell Wilson became a bad quarterback overnight. I can't believe that. I do think that there will be some level of success there. Are they going to win a Super Bowl? I've been saying this to Mitch for the last couple of weeks. I like Sean Payton a lot. I think he's a great offensive mind. He's a great coach. He's well-respected. He won his Super Bowl 13 years ago. Some of these coordinators that are talking to the Cardinals have been a part of a Super Bowl much more recently. Yeah, And if you look at Brian Flores, he's been a part of like five of them. So while I understand being the head coach and winning a Super Bowl means more than being a coordinator and winning a Super Bowl, Sean Payton hasn't been a part of one in 13 years. He didn't even go to another one. Yeah, and a lot of those times in the later part of his Saints career, those those teams were not maybe what everybody thought they were. So in hindsight, to answer your question, yeah, I think it'll show some success. But you got to remember, only one team wins the Super Bowl every year. It's right. hard. It's hard. Do I think the Broncos, if I had to bet money today, will the Broncos win a Super Bowl with Sean Payton? No. Okay. How, well, no, they won't. A playoff game next year? No. Me, I don't think so either. And I think that's a and failure. A lot, of, a lot of that has to do with how good their division is. Yeah, I, but I, I still think you're going all in. You're trading all these assets for Russ and for Sean Payton. You can make a wild card. And that's kind of disappointing to say out loud yeah, if you're Chiefs, a Denver fan. But the Chiefs. Yeah, but. You ain't winning that division anytime but soon. But it's not necessarily just about how I feel the about division. it. But I, I get what you're saying. I just feel like if you're going to trade and go all in, it's funny to still have these conversations and to think, hmm, maybe the Cardinals, not that they dodged a bullet, not that Sean Payton's going to be bad, but the amount of compensation they might have had to give up for him. Oh, believe me, I was I was not a fan of having to give up draft picks for Sean Payton. This could all work out for the better, depending on who they hire.
All right, coming up next, we'll get to all the stories that we did not get to during today's show. It's called Footnotes, and it's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve present Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. Yeah, but with no Mitch, because we gave him the day off. Steve Zinsmeister here with Eric Ruby on Arizona Sports Saturday. Footnotes is when we get to some of the stories that didn't quite fit into the show the way it was constructed today. And there's been a lot of news. We ran through all the big stuff. But how about the fact that the Super Bowl is going to be in town? And does the city of Glendale need to grease all its poles? Now, why would they have to do that? Apparently, there's a thing. I I did not know this. In Philadelphia, where the Eagles fans, when they win big games, you know how, like, in college, you win a big game over a big opponent, you rush the field, right? Mm -hmm. That's, like, just what people do. I think it's kind of stupid, but it's what people do. Apparently, in Philadelphia, they climb light poles. Like, downtown Philadelphia. And I saw a video, I want. Ah, I can't remember her name, I wish I could give her credit. I saw a video that uh, one of the downtown journalists she put together, and it was a video of like, hey, Philadelphia fans, I got you covered. I'm going to show you a tour of all the great light poles we have downtown. You could check out this light pole, and you could climb on this thing, and then you could put your foot here, and then you could get up to the street sign. It was hilarious. And... Apparently, the city of Glendale uh, spokesperson told the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, that they are not sure if they're going to grease the light poles in the city in anticipation of fans wanting to climb them. I love it. I think it's so funny. I, I know that maybe you're not the biggest fan of rushing the field, but no. when it comes to celebrations, especially fans celebrating big wins, as long as you're not hurting anybody, which I guess is a slippery slope when it comes to this, I'm all for it. And just to find her name, Grace Dell. Pizzo. Thank you. She's the one that she made a video. I believe she's an Eagles fan. She has an Eagles jacket on. Doing oh, it's all hilarious. This. It's great. She's like, I got you. Let's go find some poles to, to climb, potentially. But she did it downtown Phoenix, and like obviously the game's in Glendale. And that's one of the interesting aspects of the Super Bowl being here is that there's so many things in different places. There's downtown events at the convention center. There's With the all game. the signage, you think the Super Bowl's going to be played in every city? Yeah, basically. It's just kind of a valley-wide game, I guess. Uh, also, speaking of the Super Bowl, one of the interesting storylines a lot of people are talking about is the Kelsey brothers. Jason Kelsey plays center for the Eagles. Travis Kelsey well-known tight end with the Chiefs. Not only will they be playing each other, and I'm sure their parents are completely torn on this, uh, but incredibly proud. Apparently, Jason Kelsey's wife is extremely pregnant, and she's going to be bringing her OBGYN with her to the game. My first thought was, did you have to buy a ticket? Because those ain't cheap. So does this mean she's probably going to pop? Like, could that's the best story you could possibly have. I was born at the Super Bowl. I think that happened last year in the playoffs. Maybe not at the Super Bowl. Somebody gave birth at the Super Bowl? I think so. I, think I don't it even was remember a, that. Van, Jeff, Van Jefferson's wife, because they were they, had, they were covered on a hard knock. That's right. And they took her to the hospital, obviously. I assume they would do the same for Jason Kelsey's yeah, wife. They're not going to give birth in the stands or whatever. In section 114. <laughs> I don't think that should be happening. The Cardinals are like, eh, maybe we don't do that in the concession area. Um, but yeah. Apparently, she's bringing her OBGYN to the game, which I think is interesting. I think it would be probably a smart fun. move. If you have the Super Bowl, you have the story to tell for the rest of your life. I was born to the Super Bowl. Hopefully, when your dad wins it, maybe if your dad loses, you could be like, I'm the consolation prize. I'm guessing that she, uh, Kylie Kelsey, Kylie Kelsey, that's an interesting name. I'm guessing she does not want to give birth at the game. That's a good guess. Okay. Just kind of assumed. 
Uh, Derek Carr has been given permission to talk to other teams. You know him as the Raiders quarterback. Uh, he can talk to other teams right now. Oh, by the way, he uh, was at the Pro Bowl. Oh, and by the way, he was at the Pro Bowl and he wasn't wearing any of his Raiders gear. When is the last time that you saw a Pro Bowl quarterback competing in the Pro Bowl, whatever we call it, the games or whatever now, and he's not even wanted by his own team? The same year that I saw a quarterback who's, who threw two touchdowns also get selected to a Pro Bowl? Oh, you're talking about Tyler Huntley? Oh, yeah. He only had two more than I did. Hey, it was I close. I feel like I had a pretty good case. Uh, that brings up a lot of questions about like the way we vote for things, especially like Hall of Famers. And I already have railed a lot on, especially the MLB Hall of Fame vote recently. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so if you want to talk about that, I'm all ears. But when you talk about football clout... And getting into the hall, Pro Bowls used to matter. It usually still does kind of matters how many times you go to the Pro Bowl. But if we start including guys like Derek Carr, who isn't even wanted by his own team, whether it's deserved or not, Tyler Huntley, who only threw two touchdown passes and was basically just an injury replacement, and the guys who make the Super Bowl can't even be a part of the game, so they don't even get credited, really. What does it mean to be a Pro Bowler anymore? It means nothing. And the guys, they don't, it doesn't feel like the Pro Bowl anymore. It doesn't feel like anybody's excited to go. Nobody's getting excited about being selected to the Pro Bowl. My guess, five years from right now, completely different system in place. Well, and while this we're is at just it, going downhill. You mentioned to me before the show, Devin Booker not being an all star. Yeah. And I, I think your question to me was something along the lines of, did he deserve it? Yeah, he probably deserves to be an all star in terms of like how good he is, but he hasn't played. Right. And that's probably the reason he doesn't get in. But again, NBA All-Star, MLB All-Star, Pro Bowl in the NFL, it's all the same to me. It's really just a popularity contest in the moment. And the thing that is pretty bad about all of that is a lot of times there are contract incentives tied into Pro Bowl appearances, All-Star appearances. So just the fact that it's almost an afterthought, people don't care, there's jokes made out of it. Nobody knew that it was starting this week and that Pro Bowl activities were going down. That just takes away a little bit from the game. Yeah, let's see how good they are at dodgeball. Yeah. That's what Pro Bowl means. That's fun, but it shouldn't be the only way to honor them. Tom Brady retired this week, in case you missed that huge nugget. Uh, He has a deal with Fox. I think it's like 10 years, $375 million. So does he just replace Greg Olson in the lead booth? I don't know how that works. I wouldn't want that to happen because I think Greg Olson is great at his job, and I'm not sure how good Tom Brady's going to be. I feel like he's either going to be really good or really bad, but maybe they'll just have him record little one-minute videos every week from the beach and send them in because I don't know what else he would do. Hey, we want to thank you so much for checking out the show this week, and uh, we really appreciate it. For Trevor Henry behind the glass and for my man Eric Ruby filling in for Mitch, thanks for being here, Eric. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm Steve Zinsmeyer. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.